Welcome to Awaken. Glad you're here. <laughs> if you have a Bible, you're going to want it. If you don't have one, there's some in the back. <clears throat> so, uh, okay. Uh, we've, we're, we're in week six of a series called The Story. And uh, <clears throat> we have covered a lot of ground. Obviously, when you try to cover the entirety of the scriptures in six weeks, that's what happens. But uh, if, you, if you've been here, you remember, uh, and if you haven't, for review, we talked about creation. Started there, and quickly, uh, in the scriptures, it moves to Genesis 3, where we're introduced to sin and this thing called the fall, as people talk about it, uh, where humanity chooses a different option than what God intended Uh, In Genesis chapter 12, we're introduced to this group of people called Israel, through whom God wants to change the world through, through through whom God wants to take back the world uh, that was lost in sin and in brokenness. And and then at the end of the Old Testament, we we meet a guy named Jesus, actually the beginning of the New Testament. Uh, And last week we talked about the church, what we're doing here this morning. And so today, uh, the last chapter of this, or the last act, if you will, Uh, is the kingdom, or uh, you may have heard the term heaven. So what we want to do this morning is sort of frame this whole uh, teaching time with this question, and the question is this. What is it that Jesus speaks of when he talks about the kingdom of God? What is this thing called the kingdom, or heaven, in the book of Matthew? Okay, if you know anything about the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are the four Gospels. They talk about Jesus. In the book of Matthew, what's typically translated kingdom of God in Luke, Mark and John is, is translated kingdom of heaven. So in the New Testament, you have 65 times, in the NIV, uh, 65 times you have this phrase, the kingdom of God, and 35 times, or 31 times, you have kingdom of heaven. So on the landscape of the things that Jesus talks about, this kingdom of God, or this heaven thing, is really, really big. It's one of the things he talks about the most. So, um, and yet, I would argue, it's actually one of the most misunderstood concepts among evangelicals and among Christians. This idea of heaven, or the kingdom of God, or the kingdom of heaven. Um, so our task today is to ask this question, what is Jesus talking about when he says the kingdom of God, or the kingdom of heaven? Uh, and, and ask some, some basic questions. What's the nature of the kingdom? When's it coming? When can we expect it? And how is it that Jesus can say that the kingdom of God is among you, within you, and coming? Kind of an odd thing. He says it's among you, it's within you, and it's coming. How is it that he can say that? And I want to talk about it in two ways. I want to talk about the kingdom in its fullness, and I want to talk about the kingdom in the meantime. So I want to talk about this idea, this concept of heaven or the kingdom in its fullness. When it fully comes, what does it look like? And in the meantime, if that's not yet, then what does it look like until then? But before we do that, uh, as as I said earlier, I think that this is one of the most misunderstood concepts among evangelical Christians. So we have to lay a little groundwork. We have to do a little, uh, here's what it's not kind of work before we get to here's what it is. So first and foremost, I want to start by saying this. Um, And I'll recommend one book for you. If you're interested in reading, if you like reading, Surprised by Hope is a book by N.T. Wright. Phenomenal book. And he basically talks about this idea that I'm going to start with this morning. So if you're interested, you can take a look at that. Um, I'm not going to let you check it out because I've lost too many good books doing that. But I will go to the bookstore and help you find it (laughs) if you want to borrow it, okay? Uh, The first thing I want to say is this, and this is critical that we get. uh, or It's critical that we get this. The Christian hope is not heaven after we die. Let me say it again so that I'm crystal clear. 
The Christian hope is not heaven after we die. Now, that's probably a bit of a shocker to you because I'm guessing if you've been a part of churches at all, uh, you, you've, you've been told your whole life that the Christian hope is heaven after we die. That when we die, if we've accepted Jesus as our Savior, then we get to go to heaven. And while this is true, I want to argue, or I don't want to argue because that's not what I want to do. I want to submit to you a different option. And I want to submit to you one that I think is actually a little bit more biblical, a lot more biblical. If the Christian hope is not heaven after we die, then it begs the question, what is the Christian hope? If you could boil it down to one thing that, that Christians would say, this is the hope of what we believe. This is what we're all about. This is, this is the make it or break it kind of deal, then what is it? And I would submit to you that it is this. The Christian hope is not heaven after we die, but actually resurrection. Resurrection. If you have your Bibles, turn to Philippians chapter 3, verses, uh, and we're going to look at verse 10 and 11. Philippians chapter 3. New Testament, uh, General Electric Power Company, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. We're in Philippians. All right, General Electric Power Company. By the way, N.T. writes a little quote that you might, you might get. He says, heaven's a big deal, but it's not the end of the world. Uh, heaven's a big deal, but it's not the end of the world. And actually, one, another way to say it would be, what I want to talk about this morning is life after, life after death. So if the common conception is this, when we die, if we've said yes to Jesus, then we get to go to heaven. I want to I uh, offer that the actual hope of the Christian faith is, is life after, life after death. What happens after, after we die? So look at what Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, verse 10 and 11. He says, this is after his whole thing where he says, whatever I have, I, if I do all of these things, I, you know, I consider them rubbish for the sake of knowing Jesus. And then he says in verse 10, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship and the sharing of his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain what? Heaven after I die, right? No. Resurrection. He says, I want to know Jesus and I want to know the power of Jesus so that I can participate in his sufferings so that I can participate in resurrection. It's very, very clear. There's no trick words here. The Greek is pretty clear on it. Turn to uh, 1 Corinthians 15. Back up just a little bit. This is Paul at the end of a book that he's written to a bunch of folks in Corinth. And he sums up his whole argument with this diatribe, this chapter-long, um, not rant, but like... Let me sum it up by saying this, and the whole chapter is about resurrection. I'm just going to read part of it, starting in verse 12. He says, But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But if he did not raise Christ from the dead, or if he did not raise him, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. It's, he's saying the same thing in different ways. He's saying this, if Jesus Christ wasn't raised from the dead, then resurrection for anyone else is, is, is not possible. And if that's the case, then what we've been talking about, what we've been preaching, what we've been teaching, this whole thing called the Christian faith is actually useless. Because the, what happens in Genesis 3 is the entrance of death into creation. The entrance of, uh, or, or the breaking of shalom, what God intended to be. And what happens in Genesis 3 is death enters, and if resurrection doesn't happen, then death wins. 
Because if God made everything, he made you, me, the birds, the, the sky, everything that we experience, and if we die, and then our bodies rot away, and they're gone, then something of great worth that God has made is lost, right? So if resurrection doesn't happen, then death wins. If just our souls, just this thing called the soul, is translated into after death kind of an experience, then death wins. Corruption, what, is, what enters the story in Genesis 3, actually has a hold in the end. And that's not the way the scriptures go. If you, can, if, if you want to continue on in this, this way of thinking, I'll offer a couple of other uh, verses. John chapter 20, Mary, after the resurrection, actually physically holds Jesus. She goes in and she, she, she hugs him. In John chapter 21, Thomas touches his body. If you remember doubting Thomas, I, I, I'm not going to believe until I touch your hands and your side. Uh, in Luke 24, on the Emmaus Road, Jesus is walking with them, and then he eats in their presence. All of this to say that Jesus' post-mortem reality his post-death experience is one of physicality. So if we're going to talk about the kingdom of God and we're going to talk about heaven, we have to start by saying that the Christian hope is not heaven after we die, some ethereal, non-bodily experience elsewhere out there. We have to start by saying that's not what the scriptures teach. The scriptures teach that resurrection will happen. Let me, let me frame it with this question. Upon what grounds do we base a belief that our post-mortem reality will be any different than Jesus's? Let me ask it again. Upon what grounds do we base a belief that our post-death experience will be any different than that of Jesus's? If, in fact, Paul speaks of Jesus as the second Adam, the first fruits of new creation, or the truly human being. What I want to start this morning doing is saying that resurrection, so if you think about your life, starts at birth, stops for a moment at death. The scriptures teach that in death, those who are in Christ, spirit, spiritually go to be with him, which is true, and we await what is coming for all of creation that is in Christ, and that is resurrection. That at some point in the future, those who are in Christ will literally and physically be raised from the dead to inhabit a new heaven and a new earth. And actually, heaven is this space where God's rule and reign happens, and earth, this place, become one, Revelation chapter 21. And those who are in Christ will inhabit a new created order, a new created world. That's the biblical picture of life and life after death and life after life after death. So if we're going to talk about the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God, we have to start by saying that, okay? Everybody clear there? Now, here's what I want to do as we talk about what is the kingdom of heaven. I want to use two different uh, metaphors this morning, and these two candles are one of them. Have you guys ever heard of the season of Advent before? Advent happens in Christmas, right? So we anticipate the coming of Jesus at, at, at Christmas. That in the church calendar is the first Advent, and it often is symbolized by a candle. So this is the first Advent of the church. And this light is a representative of a representation of Jesus coming into the world. The scriptures teach us that there will be a second advent where Jesus will come back. And he will physically be here. And so you have between the first advent of Jesus and the second advent of Jesus this meantime. 
Jesus talks about the kingdom of God as participating in this time and space somehow, which we'll get to. But this is one of the metaphors I want to use, and the other one are seeds. And we'll get to this in a moment. So, Matthew chapter 13. Flip back there. We're going to look at three stories that Jesus tells from the book of Matthew about the kingdom of God. He tells three, three parables which you're probably familiar with if you know the, Bible, if you know the Gospels at all. We're going to start in verse uh, 3 of chapter 13. He says this, Then he told some things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. The birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the, shallow, the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched. They withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns which grew up and choked the plants, and still other seed fell on good soil where it produced a crop 160 or 30 times what was sown. Skip down to verse 24. This is the second parable that he tells. Jesus told them that another parable, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field, but while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, the weeds also, then the weeds also appeared, and the owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, you didn't sow good seed, or didn't you sow good seed in your field? When or where did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied, and the servants asked, Do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you were pulling weeds, you may root up the wheat with them. Let them both grow until the harvest, and at that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds, tie them in bundles to be burned, and gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. Then he tells one other parable in verse 31. He told them another parable, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and perch in its branches. Pray with me if you would. God, we want to ask that as we look into your scriptures, that you would speak uh, a word to us, that you would do what you do uh, when, when the scriptures are opened. I pray that you would reveal yourself, that you would show us something about the nature of your kingdom and what it means to participate in it uh, while we're here. We pray in your name and by the power of your spirit. Amen. I want to make a couple of observations about this. So if this is the first advent of, of Jesus, he comes to earth at Christmas, is born, and then uh, we live in this space in between here and there. What does... Uh, what is... What is what does the kingdom look like in its fullness? So in this whole story series, we've been talking about uh, these six different acts of this story. And in its fullness, like on the other side of resurrection, what does the kingdom of God look like? And this is a very short answer to a very big question. The kingdom of God will look like the shalom that God intended in the beginning. We've talked about this idea that when God created, he created shalom. He created uh, the, a, a, a place and a, a thing, a, a reality, that was, there was universal flourishing, wholeness, and delight is the definition we've been using. So what will the kingdom look like on the other side of resurrection? It will look like the shalom, the harmony, the peace, the relationships that God intended in, in the beginning will be restored and made new for those who are in Christ. So in its fullness, 
we can look back to Genesis chapter 1 and 2 and get an idea as to what the kingdom of God will look like. It's a place where actually Adam and Eve participate with God in the ordering of creation and the stewarding of creation. So there's an active participation going on. There's planting, there's tending, there's all kinds of things. But it's universal wholeness, flourishing, and delight. It's this beautiful picture of peace, harmony, and shalom. So what does it look like in its fullness when Jesus comes back and resurrection happens? It looks like that, but better. Okay? In the meantime, what do we experience between these first two advents? And Jesus uses this par- these parables and he talks about seeds. I want to just highlight a couple of things that I think we learn about the kingdom from these parables. First is this. Uh, it wasn't what his contemporaries expected. When Jesus tells this, these, these parables and, and others in the Gospels, what he's saying about the kingdom of God is not what this, the people who heard it would have expected him to say. Um, imagine, if you will, that you're a Jewish person and you have been told from the beginning of, of, of Abraham, Genesis 12, that you're God's special people, that God's going to do something in and through you as a people. But in the midst of the first century, you're living in Jerusalem and here's what you experience. You experience Roman uh, uh, oppression. The Romans like have their thumb on the Jewish people. These pagans, these non-godly people have come into the city of God. They have desecrated the temple. They have upset everything that's gone on as a religious people group. And you're sitting here and you're listening to all the prophets of old. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Micah. Uh, you're listening to all these prophets and, and what they have said is that God will do something at some point. He's going to come back and he's going he's to do something in history that will be decisive. It will be this moment where everything changes, where the way in which the world works will be different. And you're thinking to yourself, yes, like bring it. Come Lord Jesus or come Messiah, they would, probably would have said. Come Spirit, do what you want to do. So that's your expectation. And what it looks like actually is a bit more political and military-like. There were groups of people who who had different versions of, of how they expected the Messiah to come back. Some thought it would be political. They would kick out the Romans. Some thought it would be military. They would, they, that, God, that God would raise up this huge army and they'd come in and they'd just like pull out the swords and start going to town, kill all the pagans and send them packing or bury them. Um, so when, 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 when people say the Messiah is coming, this is what you're expecting in the first century. And then this prophet, this 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 this. Uh, uh, agrarian peasant teacher guy comes into town and he says the kingdom of God is like this and he talks about seeds and you're thinking to yourself dude where's the sword like I love a good tomato plant or I love a good olive tree or I love a good mustard tree but where's the sword where's the like the Romans are here what are these seeds going to do how are they going to do anything and Jesus comes and he says the kingdom of heaven The kingdom of God is like a seed. And it does this, and it does this, and it does that. And I want to say first and foremost that when Jesus comes and announces the kingdom, it's not what the people would have expected. And I wonder how often in our world, when the the church or religious people come and they say anything about God, it has anything to do with what people would expect. You can interpret that however you want. But when Jesus comes, first and foremost, he says... The kingdom of God is like this, and it is not what the people around him would have expected. I think we can also learn that, uh, it's not, that not everyone will experience it or have hearts to receive it. This first parable of the sower, the ske- the, he, brings, he brings out all these seeds and he, he begins to scatter them. 
And he says, the kingdom of heaven is like this. It's like a farmer who takes seeds and he comes and he scatters it. And some of the seed grows and some of it doesn't. Some of it falls on good soil and it grows and it produces a crop. And some of it, it grows a little bit, but then it's taken away. And some of it just can't grow at all. And this is a sticky wicket for the church people. Because if we read the text, what it really says is is that the kingdom of heaven, that the seeds of the kingdom... Some people have the heart to receive it and some people don't. Take that another step and you get the classic teaching of the church that some people will go to heaven and some people will go to hell. I want to I offer a different way to, to speak of this. And I want to offer it in this way. That when Jesus dies on the cross, what happens in his death and resurrection is effective for all of creation. So in one sense, you could say that all of humanity is saved at the cross of Jesus. Now stick with me before you start throwing things. That when Jesus dies on the cross, all of humanity and all of creation is elected. All of it is saved. All of it is, it, there is a scenario by which all can be restored. And I want to offer that when Jesus says the kingdom of God is like a a seed and it's sown on rocky soil and some of it takes root and some of it doesn't, that some of us cultivate hearts that have the possibility to receive the seed of the kingdom, the seed of the gospel, the the truth of Jesus. And some of us have cultivated hearts where that's just not possible. And I, I frame it in this language that humanity is given the choice to opt out. That, that, that connected in the story from the beginning, there is always a choice that's given by God to his creation, to humanity, to love him back, to opt in, to say yes to. And it's my conviction that God will give you and me and us what our hearts want. And so if we cultivate hearts that are unable to, 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 to receive the seed of the kingdom, then that's what we'll get. But for those who have ears to hear, let them hear the truth about who Jesus is and that there has been a way that's been made, a a way that's been made possible to be restored and to, to receive the seed of the kingdom. So I think we can understand and we can realize or we can deduce that some will experience it and some will not. Now, this is just a side note, a pastoral note for all of you who come to Awaken. Most Christians, um, oftentimes get really excited about this doctrine and saying that some people are going to go to heaven and some people are going to go to hell. And I think it actually, it, it reveals a heart that is a bit, um, that maybe doesn't understand the grace that it's received. Because shouldn't our hope be, shouldn't the disposition of our hearts be that all might be saved? Shouldn't that be our hope? That God would reclaim everything that he made. Because if it isn't our hope, then I don't think we've understood the depths from which we've come. If we dare to hope that some might not make it, that some might not make it to resurrection, or some whatever language you want to couch it in, I think that speaks actually to our heart. I'm not saying anything about who will be saved or who won't be saved, but I'm saying that shouldn't our heart's desire be that God would restore all that he made? 
Because in the face of another human being, what we should recognize is the image and, and, and print of God. Now, again, I think Scripture teaches uh, a different option, that some have a heart that receives it and some don't. And I think that we could deduce that from these parables and from many other places in the Scriptures. So I want to be fair to what's revealed to us there. But shouldn't our hope be? Shouldn't we hope that God would restore? Shouldn't we hope that God's Spirit would get to everything? Shouldn't we hope that the seed would grow wherever it's planted? I think we can also learn that it's a reality to be experienced here and now, not something that we are waiting for then. When Jesus talks about the kingdom, he says it's here, it's among you, it's coming and it's within you. How is it that Jesus can talk about this thing called the kingdom if in fact it's a place that we go after we die? If it's a place that we go after we die, then how can Jesus say it's here and it's among you and it's within you and it's coming? I would say the only way that he can say that is if it's a reality that's to be experienced instead of a place that we go. So when Jesus comes and he says the kingdom of God is among you, it's within you, it's coming, what he's offering is a particular way to experience the world and a particular way to experience humanity and relationships that is more in line with Genesis 1 and 2 than it is Genesis 3. And because of resurrection, it's possible here and now and will be coming or will be fulfilled in a fu- at a future date. It looks kind of like this. I've got a picture that I want to show you guys. It's this tiny little seed that has sprouted amidst a concrete jungle. And if the concrete jungle is the world that we live in and broken and impacted by sin, that the kingdom of God takes root in these tiny little cracks, in these tiny little crevices called churches and called Christians. And as we participate in the way in which things were and should be, What happens is the kingdom of God, this reality that's to be experienced, is cultivated in our hearts and in our lives, and it actually takes root and begins to grow. And when that happens, the world looks at a picture like this and says, interesting, how is this possible? What makes that thing grow, and how did it get there? And the only response for us is, it's resurrection, baby. I mean, you can frame it however you want to in your context. Okay. But I would say it's a reality that's to be experienced, not a place that we go. Uh, I think uh, another thing that we learn from these parables is this. uh, Who's in and who's out is not your concern. Christian, church person, I want you to listen to me very carefully, and I want you to hear this. And you can agree, disagree, but I want you to at least hear it. Who's in and who's out is not your problem, and it's not your responsibility, and it's not my responsibility. Who's in and who's out, where the seed grows and where the seed doesn't grow, is not your responsibility, and it's not my responsibility. If you look at this parable about the one where the the farmer goes and the wheat starts showing up and and the weeds grow, the people say, shouldn't we go and collect the wheat? Shouldn't we go and find the wheat and pull it out and say, your wheat, or or weeds, sorry, not the wheat, the wheat's a good thing. Shouldn't we find the weeds and say, you're a weed and pull you out? Isn't that what we should do, master? And the master says, no, let it grow. Dude, just settle down. 
Like, I got it, okay? I'm the master gardener here, okay? I've, I, I got this whole thing, all of it, all of it, all of that stuff out there, like, I got it. What I want you to do is just demonstrate and announce. Demonstrate the kingdom of God and announce it. Don't worry about the weeds. Don't, don't think it's your job to go around and say, oh, there's some weeds, and there's some weeds, and there's some weeds, and there's some weeds. Hey, everybody, there's some weeds. Which I think the church has done, and done a very unfortunate disservice to the story and gospel of Jesus. And quite honestly, let's be serious, when we do that, do we not basically say, God, if you could just step aside for a moment, I think I've got this. Right? And we don't trust that the Spirit's at work in the world, and we don't trust that it's working in people's hearts and lives, and that the seeds of the kingdom will actually begin to grow. What we do is we say, actually, um, I think you might need our help on this one, so if we could, we'll just partner up with you. Don't hear me saying that there isn't a right way to live and a wrong way to live and that there is truth and that there is, or there isn't truth. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is that it's not our role as the church to be the ones who guard that. Because when we assume that position, we basically say to God, looks like you need our help. And I think that God's got this one. I think that in the end, he's going to sort it out. And what he's asking you and me as the, the church to do is to demonstrate the power and the life in the seeds of the kingdom and then announce it and say, look, do you see that? That's the kingdom. That's resurrection. That's new life. That's Jesus. Demonstrate and announce. Just, just bear witness. Lastly, I would say, when we look at these parables and we look at what Jesus says about the kingdom, we learn that what, what the kingdom is this thing that starts very, very small and it takes a long time to grow. It's something that starts really small and it takes a long time to grow. Have you guys ever seen a mustard seed? Has anyone actually ever like, physically seen one? These are tomato seeds. We couldn't find any mustard seeds. But this is a tomato seed. Does anybody, you can hardly even see that, right? It's, it's tiny. A mustard seed is smaller than this. And uh, uh, the, the obvious point of the parable is this tiny, tiny little thing is planted and as it takes root and grows, it becomes this big, expansive tree that the birds of the air rest in. It's something that takes time and it starts small. So I just want to say something very pastoral here for a second. There is no room for shame and self-flagellation, not flatulation, flagellation, like beating, beating yourself up. There is no room for shame and self-deprecation for those who are in Christ. There is no room for people to, 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 to feel bad or to feel shame because you're not further along than you are. Because the kingdom of God is something that starts very small. And as it grows, it takes time. We live in a culture that says, I want it and I want it now. If you go to Starbucks, you can get a double tall. They have a new one now. It's like the Trenta or something like this. Have you guys seen this? Does it come with handles on it? It's like you can fit an entire bottle of wine in what this coffee cup holds. 
We'll talk about that later when we talk about overindulgence and gluttony. Uh, but uh, you could go to Starbucks and you could say, I want a double tall, not half-calf, uh, d- no whip, extra hot latte, and, and all this stuff, and you can get it exactly how you want it right now. And that's the culture that we live in. Right now, right now, exactly how I want it. And if it takes more than two minutes, I start tapping my foot and saying, seriously, dude, just pay the lady and move along. If you don't know what you want, get to the back of the line, because I do, okay? I got places to go. I got people to see. I'm a pastor for crying out loud. I'm doing the Lord's work here. <laughs> I'll be here all week. <laughs> we, want it, we want it how we want it, and we want it now. And we have to remember that when Jesus speaks about the kingdom, when he speaks about what he's doing and what he's up to and what he's accomplished, it's something that's very small and it takes time. And so I just want to encourage you. Part of this whole series, the story, is exploring this idea that God, God shows up in the midst of this thing called our life and our story. And how ironic We've heard a couple of different stories. We always think that God's going to show up in these particular places that we can probably predict, and yet God shows up in the middle of an alcoholic's life, in the middle of the night, in a place of addiction and brokenness. That's where we find God. And it takes time. And that's what community is about. That's what relationship, that's what the church is about. That we become a group of people who allow space for the seeds of the kingdom to grow as the Spirit of God is working in our lives. It doesn't mean that we say anything goes. It doesn't mean that we say you can do whatever you want because you're an individual and this is America. It's not what I'm saying. Community and relationship looks very different than that. It comes with responsibility and respect and trust and honor. But it allows for grace and space and time for the kingdom of God to take root in our lives. So what is this thing called the kingdom? What do we have to look forward to? How does the story end? For us, it ends and it begins with resurrection. The hope of the gospel is resurrection. That God would say, death doesn't win. That Jesus would declare as he comes out of the grave that death does not win and despair is not the only option. And it looks like a whole bunch of different things. It's small. It takes time to grow. Who's in and who's out? It's not our concern. It's this reality that's to be experienced here and now and it's coming. That unfortunately, not everybody has a heart that receives this seed. But the kingdom of God is something that is present here right now and is coming in its fullness. We look forward to that. We invite people into it. We demonstrate the reality and the love that we've experienced in Jesus and we say, that's the kingdom. That's resurrection. That's Jesus. That's what the church is about. That's our place in the story. I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask Ben to come and he's going to lead us in one classic anthem of the church that has been sung for a long time. I don't know the date of it, but... Uh, would you pray with me? And we'll, we'll close. <clears throat> Jesus, I want to ask uh, in the quietness of this moment that as we think, contemplate, um, allow the, uh, 
the words of your scriptures, uh, the words of this truth sink into our hearts, that you would uh, be powerfully present. God, I ask that the seeds of the kingdom, first and foremost, would grow in our hearts. God, that we would have hearts that would be ready to receive the truth of who you are. At whatever stage along the way, whether it's the first bit, the first seed of truth, or whether it's a part of the growing process or a part of the pruning process, I pray that this thing called the kingdom would grow in our hearts and that it would expand, God, that our ability to love people who are different than us would grow. I pray that our ability to ascribe unsurpassable worth to other human beings would grow. I pray that our desire to judge and say those are weeds would diminish and that our trust would grow in you, God, that you're, you're over all of this, that you want it back way more than we do, and that you're actually at work in the world, and we're just partnering with you. God, would you help Awaken be the kind of place that demonstrates the love of Jesus and then announces that that's what's just happened? And would you, God, would you uh, be so uh, generous and continually graceful to allow us to experience the joy and the life that happens when your kingdom shows up. God, we love you. We pray that this would happen in our hearts first and in this community.